Can you please state your full name for us? Yes. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me here today. Uh, my name is Daryl Shelley. I'm from Stephenville, Newfoundland. Um, relocated to Toronto in 2004, where I lived for 16 years, returning to Stephenville uh, in December 2020 during the COVID pandemic. Before you moved to Newfoundland, you said you, you uh, resided elsewhere. And can you tell me more about that? What precipitated yeah, so you move I, to Newfoundland? I'm sorry. I lived in Ontario for 16 years. I uh, left Newfoundland as a young man, as many do, to seek employment opportunities. Um, and I ended up starting a business called Mighty Mouth Staffing, which uh, was founded in early 2017. I was a freelance audiovisual technician in Ontario, uh, self-employed businessman the entire time I was up there. And uh, after um, when the COVID pandemic struck, it, it really took a dent in our business. We specialize in technical labor and the installation of uh, events for producers, venues, shopping malls, public spaces. And we also provide skilled trades and construction when required. So when the live event industry shut down, it completely destroyed our business. Terry, did you take any preventative steps to try and mitigate the potential impact of lockdowns or restrictions for your business? Yes, yes, we did. Um, so we ended up ordering KN95 masks, which are uh, PPE from Asia, which is on par with the N95 masks you would get here for uh, what we call respirators. Um, and we wanted those because they were supposed to keep our workers safe if we had to continue to work through the pandemic. So we ordered thousands of them. Um, we got an importation license um, and we were ready to continue throughout the pandemic. We saw that it was coming before they had started to announce the emergencies in March 2020. So we were ordering these things about six to eight weeks before that time. When we started out in 2020, we were uh, at just had peaked in our uh, what was going to be our best year ever based on contracts we were landing. We had about 20 freelancers that were working close to full time and 80 freelancers on call. We were on a gross uh, track for over 1.5 million in 2020 from a business that started with only $1,500 of one client back in 2017. So you build your business from 2017 to 2020, basically from $1,500 income to projected revenue of $1.5 million. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, every, everything that we did was related to the event business at that time, the live event industry. So uh, when the lockdowns happened in March, we had to tell everybody we're finished for now. We'll be back maybe in a few months. We weren't sure. Um, so we held on to those KN95 masks, Jim, we just put it as a tool in our arsenal, Chris, like the same as you would with, um, you know, your boots, uh, your steel-toed boots, your hard hats or whatnot. And we figured we'll, we'll get back to work at some point in time. But when June hit, we realized we weren't going back to work, that this was, we were going to be permanently locked out of work here. And Doug Ford, because we were on Ontario, he kept calling for PPE, PPE. And they kept telling people, they kept telling the public not to buy masks that they only needed them for the government. Well, when the government says something like that, it makes me want to make sure that I've got enough for myself first. 
So, um, but knowing we weren't going to need them, I had enough for my family. I had more than enough for my family. I teamed up with another friend of mine who owns a company called Portable UVC, and we decided to take all of our PPE and donate it to long-term care because Doug Ford was calling for help with long-term care and long-term care. And we saw these videos on, on the news of people in long-term care who are suffering. I don't know if you remember, the military had been called in. So we decided, okay, we're gonna do our part. We're gonna donate these things. Now, they were calling for procurement. We could have made money. I said, no, uh, it's not the right thing to do. We're in a pandemic. We're all in this together, right? That was the idea, was to help each other. So if I could help brothers and sisters in long-term care facilities get through their day, and uh, I had medical grade respirators that could help them, I was gonna donate them. Uh, and then we had a big snag when we actually decided to do that, which was the very first sign for me that there was a lot more to this pandemic that had to do with financial gain than it did do to do about keeping people safe. Terry, how many masks were you donating or looking to donate? So we had about 5,000 of them uh, between us and I had reached out to OPSEU, which is the union that handles long-term care facilities in Ontario. Uh, and I reached out to the presidents, uh, Warren Smokey Thomas and Eduardo Eddie Almeida, the first vice president and treasurer. Um, they wouldn't get back to me for the first few times. I tried calling, I tried repeated emails. Finally, I got a little bit aggressive with one of my emails and I did get a response. And their answer was to give it to the government, at which point I said, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in giving them to you. And I said, we will bring them ourselves. We have an importation uh, license. These are legitimate. Taxes have been paid on them. Can we just bring them to you and help your people out? And they just uh, completely uh, shadow banned. They, they, they blocked us. They didn't want to talk to us. They ignored us. It was over. Um, I didn't understand why. So I went and did some investigating. I found it on their website. They were selling branded cloth masks with their logo on it, non-medical grade, to their own union employees. And that's the only PPE they were letting them have, which weren't going to keep them safe from the so-called virus. And here we were with medical grade, uh, medical grade respirators and importation license and excess of 5,000 masks that we didn't need. And now, on a side note, OPSEU is seeking uh, nearly $6 million that they allege that Warren Smokey Thomas and Eddie Almeida had stolen from union executives over the years. So I don't know if they were making money off these masks, but it sure as hell put a red flag up for me. And we decided eventually to do, uh, donate them to a uh, homeless uh, shelter called Homes First in Toronto. So we gave it to them, but uh, it was pretty amazing that they were calling for help in long-term care. And here we were and coming to save the day. And we, we weren't able to do it because they wouldn't let us. And you were, you, know, you were shut down from providing masks to the elderly population particularly, like you said, long-term care facilities, which were certainly at high-risk uh, category. So thank you for yeah. that. Uh, Terry, what happened to your business? Because you, you said you you built it up from like, a, like the dream, so to speak, you know, with, from very small income to a projected income of $1.5 and And the second question, actually, let, let me preface that. I'm sorry. Um, your business had contracts. You had employees, 20 contractors and you also said you had 80, up to 80 subcontractors when the lockdowns when the restrictions came what happened to your company what happened to those employees to those to those contractors and subcontractors so the audiovisual community and event staffing community in the city they were they had these 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 uh, online sort of events where they were trying to rally people to 
uh, you know, let's be all of this together and let's stay home and let's stay safe and all that. But after a while, after a few months, we started to see that this really wasn't the case. Um, you know, Walmart was open. The liquor store was open. Uh, people down in the United States in a lot of places were still open. Um, a lot of technicians that were highly skilled moved to the United States temporarily. Some of them left the business completely. A lot of them uh, switched trades or left the town because, I mean, living in southern Ontario near the GTA is ridiculously expensive. You need to keep making money every day or you're going to go under. Um, and by the time we got set and done with it, I think we managed to pick up some work in 2020. Um, our one and a half million projection ended up turning into about nine grand in sales from March to the year end. And we almost lost our company. We managed to survive because we started an online pet supply business and dog breeding business when we came back to Newfoundland called Shelly's Pet Palace. And uh, that was that we were able to, to, to do that mostly online. And now in 2023, we, um, we are just starting to get Mighty Mouse staffing back to pre-pandemic levels and we're hoping for a good year, but we've had to rebuild our entire crew and network because a lot of people have exited the business, which was sad because we lost a lot of really good people from that industry. Uh, no question, a significant impact on the staffing because people would found different trades, different avenues of revenue, which may not return to the business. Uh, certainly right. a sig significant impact. And to go from a projection of 1.5 million to an actual, actual recognized uh, revenue of $9,000 is simply incredible. And what were you able to regain some of the clients that you lost because of the significant reduction uh, in your ability to provide the services? So thankfully, yes, we managed to keep a couple of our clients. One of them uh, does a lot of work in shopping malls, which managed to remain open. So that little bit of work floated us during the, uh, the, the, the tough years, the two tough years that just that we just went through. Um, but it was no like, I mean, it was nowhere near what we were at before. I mean, it was literally I had to put myself on the jobs uh, to travel back, uh, which was quite a struggle traveling throughout the pandemic with the various restrictions changing on a weekly basis, not knowing if we were even going to be able to travel. So uh, kind of I wanted to go into telling my little story about how I had to actually come home and try to take care of my mother because getting back to the island in Newfoundland during that time was a was a nightmare. Uh, absolutely. Um, and, and Terry, you've, uh, you, you've segued from, from the business aspect which affected you and, and your family. But I, I want to touch upon your personal story as well. Uh, you mentioned your mother. Um, so certainly not a significant life event that impacted you. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, Chris. So, I mean, what proceeded, what I'm going to, the story I'm going to tell right now probably brought me to where I am right now, my political and professional ambitions, um, because I couldn't believe that this could happen in Canadian soil. I couldn't believe that this could happen in our country. So my mom was having a rough time with her health at the beginning of the year. Uh, we didn't make it home for Christmas in that previous year. So we planned to come back sometime in year 2020 anyway. And in May, mom got sick. May of 2020? 2020, like really sick, more, more than before. And she had to stay in the hospital for a couple of weeks alone. It was really hard on her. She was unable to leave, and she was only allowed one visitor, which was her designated visitor, which was her sister. And during this time, my nephew was born. Uh, there were strict hospital restrictions due to the pandemic and visitation for birth as well. So my mother was unable to witness the birth of her second grandson due to the pandemic restrictions. 
Um, and the baby was not able to come see her due to the restrictions in the hospitals. And uh, when she, I think she, that's when she got diagnosed with cancer. And I think it was a really lonely, difficult time for my mother. And uh, I, I regret that I wasn't able to be there for her at that time. Uh, absolutely. I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, how did you feel when you first learned that that you weren't able to visit uh, your mother, you know, going through such end of life stage uh, but, uh, at this point in time? How did that make well, you feel, Terry? Uh, yeah, uh, we we knew that we might be able to come home if we applied for an exemption. But uh, in May of fifth, two thousand twenty, Bill thirty eight, an act to amend the public health uh, protection and promotion back by the Newfoundland government was uh, was enacted, and this included banning non residents from entering the province. Uh, however, residents were still able to leave and return. So if you're from Newfoundland, you can leave and go to Canada. But if you're in Canada, you can't come to Newfoundland. First time I've ever heard of anything like that ever happening. Like, you're not allowed to go into this province, sort of, right? Um, uh, it allowed the police to conduct warrantless searches and detain persons who are suspected of being in contravention to the Public Health Protection and Promotion Act, to enter any premises uh, without a warrant, to take samples, conduct tests, make copies, extracts, photographs, videos, inspect uh, as the inspector considers necessary, and to make available any means to generate and manipulate books and records that are in the machine readable format, such as an electronic form, or any means necessary for the inspector uh, with uh, to assess any books and records and no timeline given. So they could just come into your house, take your laptop, leave, come back three months later and say, we found something in your laptop. Absolutely. There were some there were some very, very Crazy. trying times for us. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Terry, but I want to I want to focus back on, on on your mother a little bit, actually, because um, you, you weren't able to visit with her due to these travel restrictions that were brought in. But were you able to connect with your mother in another way, potentially? Yeah, Chris. Um, yeah, just correct you. It's Daryl on the... Oh, uh, I'm sorry about Daryl. Yeah, no problem. Just get that one. Um, so, yeah, like I was just about to get into. Um, so in May 2020, the Civil Liberties Association wrote to the Attorney General and Minister Andrew Parsons concerning the restrictions put in place by the government. I sent that to my mother and I said, you know, I don't know if we're going to be able to get home. I don't know what's going on. So June 4th, uh, my wife and I applied for travel exemption to enter the province. And to our surprise, we did get it the next day. Uh, taking care of someone in palliative, palliative care uh, assistance was an option. We chose that option and we did a lot of teleconferencing, video calls with mom. But we were really worried about traveling through the other Atlantic provinces because we heard about the difficulties other people were having. We didn't know if we were going to be able to get through New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. We didn't know if we were going to be able to uh, even get on the boat and then they may change that last minute so um, mom was doing better throughout the summer and had lots of family and friends to help her as she was going through chemo so we didn't think it was necessary to really take the risk of trying to travel and maybe maybe getting stopped along the way or something so we didn't go at the time and then in the fall mom took a turn for the worse uh, we decided to travel home right away to take care of her full time at that time but then on November 7th uh, 2020 I had to apply for another exemption because the old one was only valid for 30 days. Now, this 30-day rule was never stated, was never made public. Uh, there was no way to know it. I just, I had to inquire because I was going to pack up. I left my condo behind, everything behind uh, to come home. My business was shot, so there was no work happening anyway. Um, and this time I applied for my entire family, and we were planning to travel back on November 23rd. Then on November 13th, I was talking to my mother on Messenger that day. Everything seemed uh, fairly normal and fine. She was on the phone with her sister, I believe, that night. 
and sometime after midnight, she died in the kitchen. The restrictions that were uh, put in play by the government in Newfoundland and Labrador and the other corresponding Atlantic provinces robbed me of being able to see my mother in her dying days. I'm very sorry to hear that, uh, Daryl, absolutely. Um, as, as, as we're coming in uh, towards the end, um, you know, do you want to ask, were you, able to, were you able to find some closure after all this with your um, mother's passing? Yes, yes and no. We weren't sure, like I said, if our exemptions would be valid, but we came home anyway. Um, but at this time after mom passed away, I, 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 there was no way for me to be able to get back to see the body to say goodbye and do a proper send off. She had to be cremated, cremated pretty quickly. So uh, what we decided to do was to have a week. And, and I knew that there was a 14 day isolation and uh, wasn't supposed to go. And some family members said to me, well, you, you know, do it anyway. And other ones said, no, you can't. Um, so I didn't tell anybody I was coming back. And no one in town, no friends, no relatives, nobody knew of her wake. She was robbed of that. I didn't know anything about it. I came home, got in, uh, off an airplane full of people, got into a truck completely isolated, went to my house completely isolated, got in the truck, went to the wake, had to put a fake name down uh, uh, to walk in, went in and saw her in an empty room. And uh, to this day, there's people in this town who didn't even know there was a wake. Uh, the only other person who went was my brother and his family. Nobody else was there. I didn't even see them because they went in a different time. People were calling me saying, There's, you're going to get arrested if you break the quarantine. I said, my mother's dead. I said, I'm coming back to say goodbye to her body. And, I'm, and I, we paid thousands of dollars for it. I'm going to do it. So I sipped her off. It was it was mixed emotions. I was completely alone with no one no one there to confide it. Um, you know, uh, my father was, was, was very helpful by giving me his truck and everything. But it'd be, people in Newfoundland and Labrador were scared. They were totally petrified. The amount of discrimination I felt during the next few months, traveling home, getting on that boat, and coming from Ontario, from Newfoundlanders, my fellow Newfoundlanders was despicable. It was ridiculous. Um, you're talking about a person that hadn't left his condo for almost a, more than half a year. I was never sick. We weren't working. I was isolated most of the time. All I went outside and walked my dog. And the amount of discrimination was ridiculous. The, the government had everybody pitted that the outsiders were going to bring some killer plague to the island of Newfoundland. And everybody was believed that this was going to happen. I heard things like, you're going to be the first case in Steamville. You might infect the entire town. When I came back, I was, I came back on December 1st was when we finally landed. I finally got over with our stuff. Uh, we quarantined for 14 days. The last day of quarantine was my 40th birthday. No one came to visit me on my birthday. We saw very, people called and things like that, but nobody came. It was my last day. Like I said, we saw very little family over Christmas. It took 29 days where I was able to sit down with my brother and discuss my mother's affairs. My government, the government destroyed every, everything and had everybody living in fear. It was so sad. It, people found out we were from Ontario, they would run away from us. And we couldn't get help offloaded. I couldn't get help to offload my things, even if I isolated in another room by myself. I was offering somebody $200 an hour to help me offload my stuff after driving from all the way from Ontario, getting harassed by a border guard in New Brunswick who said I couldn't stop, having to take the license plates off my truck and off my trailer. Uh, it took three days to offload that stuff by myself, um, and I had to return to my mother's house full of her belongings. Same towels that she used were still hanging in the bathroom, and nobody to help us. Uh, the intimidation factor was unreal, and uh, I couldn't believe that, it, that, that the people of Newfoundland were so scared and convinced from, that we were going to bring back 
this plague and kill everybody. And it took a long time for us to be able to reconcile that as friends with our neighbors and our families. And Absolutely to get right. Back into normal. And, and we are still reconciling with that. So uh, thank you, Terry. We, we, we're coming short on time. Yep. Um, I have no further questions for you. I appreciate your time, but I'm going to defer to the commissioners. If there are any questions uh, that you'd like to ask of uh, Daryl? No? Yes, I'm sorry, there's one question there. I'm just wondering when it comes to the different uh, travel regulations or guidelines in the different provinces, when you mentioned that the, you were harassed in New Brunswick by the border control for patrol, could you just kind of elaborate a little bit further on that? Sure, yeah. It was uh, after driving through Ontario and Quebec with no issues, really. Um, we got to the New Brunswick border at Edmundston, and they had a full lockdown uh, situation with like, it was almost like driving into a, I've traveled in Europe, I've, I've gone from countries to countries, France to Switzerland and other places, and when you do, there are places where they, they search you and they lock you down, and you know, that's understood. It felt like that, it felt like I was going into another country, like I was being questioned about, who am I, where am I going, why am I going there? And I had I had my papers, I said I'm going on to, to back to Newfoundland, um, and uh, she said, well, you can't stop along the way. I said, well, if you know anybody who's got a 5.7 liter V8 with a trailer uh, that can drive all this distance without stopping on, a, on one tank of gas, I'll take two trucks, thanks. You know, I had my family, uh, my puppies, uh, long drive, we were already tired, we weren't allowed to stop. Uh, and she said, well, if you do stop, and I mean, she pulled over other officers and they started interviewing us and they were like flashing in the back of our car and looking around and trying to find out what we were doing. And uh, they said, if you stop, you, you got to wear a mask, uh, you got to put gloves on, you can't go inside any building to use the washrooms or anything like that. You can't eat, go straight to Newfoundland and get straight on the boat. Um, and if anybody knows, that's a very long drive. It's hard to do it in one day. It's impossible to do with families and puppies in a trailer, like I said. So I had to stop. I had to take the license plates off. I had to hide. I had to pay cash most of the time because I was afraid they were going to track my uh, visa or my debit card. I mean, this is early 2020 before they had any of the vaccine passports or anything like that. And we were terrified we didn't know what to do coming into nova scotia they had flashing signs about getting ready getting ready and when we got there there was nothing we just drove right through nova scotia and then went straight to newfoundland it was so bizarre each province had their own set of rules and yeah new brunswick was pretty pretty intimidating she said if you stop for any reason at all we're going to send you back to where you came from so i would go back to ontario where i had no home where i had no condo where i had no company anymore and i wouldn't be able to go and take care of my mother's affairs i'd basically be homeless if they decided to turn me around if i didn't cooperate with them Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. Thank you, Daryl. Appreciate your time.